0: Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode, I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. In our last episode, we looked at several passages of scripture that Jehovah's Witnesses use as proof texts for their many beliefs. As we saw in that last episode, Jehovah's Witnesses handle scripture in a way that's similar to children forcing blocks into the wrong-shaped holes in the children's block game. With tremendous effort, children attempt to force the oval block into the hole designed for the circular block, or the star-shaped block into the hole designed for the square block. And this is exactly what Jehovah's Witnesses do with Scripture. They're forcing meaning into the text that simply doesn't exist. Now, to be fair, many of the passages that Jehovah's Witnesses force meaning into, at first glance, are confusing. However, as we saw in our last episode, this is where it's important to use Scripture to help us interpret Scripture. We must use passages that are clear to help us better understand passages that are vague or confusing. Not only that, but it's very important that we interpret Scripture in the proper context of how things were understood in the ancient world. This is exactly what we did in our last episode, and by doing so, we were able to see that in each of the passages that Jehovah's Witnesses use for their proof texts, the context of scripture showed that their interpretation was false and does not support their claims. At the end of our last episode, I mentioned that I want us to look at John chapter 1 verse 1. Let's now look at that text. In this verse, we read, in the beginning was the word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here in this verse, we read that the Word was not only with God, but that the Word is God. If you drop down to verse 14, you will read that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. These verses are making it clear that God became flesh and dwelt among us. These verses give us clear evidence for the deity of Jesus. However, Jehovah's Witnesses completely disagree and argue that John chapter 1 verse 1 should be translated differently. According to their New World Translation, they translate John chapter 1 verse 1 to say, "In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God" And the word was a god. Their reasoning for translating this verse to say the word was a god instead of god is due to the lack of the definite article with the last use of god in the original Greek. They argue that since the first use of the Greek word for god contained the definite article, but that the last use of the Greek word for god did not contain the definite article, that the text is referring to two different people. Before I address their arguments, let me briefly explain what a definite article is. William Mounts, in his book, Basics of Biblical Greek, I believe gives an easy-to-understand definition. He explains that, quote, in English, the definite article is the word, the, end quote. Mounts gives a helpful example and writes, quote, in the sentence, the student is going to pass. The definite article is identifying one student in particular, even though context is required to know which one it is, end quote. I should note that the article is very important in the Greek New Testament. In fact, in their book, Going Deeper with New Testament Greek, Greek scholars Andreas Kossenberger, Benjamin Merkel, and Robert Plummer point out that, quote, the article is used more than any other word in the New Testament, almost 20,000 times, 19,864 to be more precise, or one out of every seven words, end quote. They continue and write, quote, Ironically, however, the article is also among the most misunderstood features of New Testament Greek, end quote. They explain that, quote, The presence or absence of the article is often significant for interpretation, end quote. Returning to John chapter 1 verse 1, let me explain why Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong and inconsistent in their interpretation without getting too technical. Although they are correct that the first use of the Greek word for God contains the definite article and that the second use for the Greek word for God does not contain the definite article, they're failing to understand how the Greek language works. For example, Kossenberger, Merkel, and Plummer explain that, quote, Contrary to popular misconceptions, the article's function is not primarily to make something definite, although the article is used for that purpose. In fact, there are multiple ways in which a noun in Greek can be definite apart from the article, so that when the article is used when it need not be, it must be for some other purpose, end quote. In a previous episode, this was addressed. If you recall in episode 13, titled The Reliability of Scripture, Manuscript Evidence, I briefly addressed the use of the definite article in the Greek. In that episode, I referred to biblical scholars Andreas Kossenberger and Michael Kruger. In their book, The Heresy of Orthodoxy, they explain the difference between English and Greek. For example, they write that, quote, Unlike English, Greek can include articles in front of proper nouns. Examples of this would be the Jesus, the John, or the Andrew. However, there is no consistency in this practice among early Christian scribes, and the presence or absence of the article before proper nouns rarely affects the meaning. For example, a number of manuscripts includes the article Tau in front of the name Simon in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, whereas most other manuscripts leave it out. Either way, the English translation is the same. It's translated as Simon with or without the article. End quote. We see here that having the definite article does not change the meaning of the verse. Yet, the article is still very important for interpretation. Something else that I want to point out is that in John chapter 1, verse 1, Jehovah's Witnesses translate the verse to say, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was a God. As stated, they translate it this way because of the lack of the definite article. However, something important to note, which Kossenberger, Merkel, and Plummer explain, is that, quote, if there is no article, the noun may still be definite. End quote. It's important to note that within the Greek New Testament, there are special rules that are applied to understanding how the article is used and translated in the Greek text. These rules are the Granville Sharp rule, Colwell's rule, and Apollonius's canon. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go into detail on each of these. I mention these rules for anyone that would like to dive deeper into this subject. I would, however, like to point out something significant regarding Colwell's rule, since it specifically applies to John chapter 1 verse 1. In the book Going Deeper with New Testament Greek, it explains that, quote, According to Colwell's rule, a definite predicate nominative does not usually take the article when preceding the copula, which is the linking verb, end quote. Colwell's rule applies to John chapter 1 verse 1. Because as pointed out earlier, the definite article is missing with the last use of the Greek word for God in John chapter 1, verse 1. However, the reason Caldwell's rule is so important of our study of John 1, 1, which Kossenberger, Merkel, and Plummer point out, is that, quote, Caldwell demonstrated that a definite predicate nominative preceding the copula occurs without the article about 87% of the time, end quote. What all this tells us is that John one one is accurately translated as the Word was God, instead of the Word was a God, because of specific rules in Greek grammar. I will note that due to the complexity of this verse, I have held off on teaching it out of fear that it was way too complex. However, this verse is so important that I believe it's worth learning about some of these technical rules and how the Greek language works. I'd like to now address the way in which Jehovah's Witnesses interpret John one. It should be pointed out that they are inconsistent with how they are translating Scripture. What I mean by this is that if the lack of the definite article means that the God mentioned in John 1.1 is a lesser God and just a God, and not Jehovah God, then they need to be consistent with how they're translating other verses where the definite article is missing before the Greek word for God. For example, within the same chapter, Jehovah's Witnesses translate several passages to say God, even though they lack the definite article. In John one one, they argue that since the Greek word for theos is missing the definite article, that it means that it should be translated as a God, instead of being translated as God. However, in verse 6, we read that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This verse is also missing the definite article. Yet, Jehovah's Witnesses rightly translate this verse to say God and not a God. Dropping down to John chapter 1, verses 12-13, to 13, we read, But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Both of these verses also lack the definite article in front of the Greek word for God. And if Jehovah's Witnesses were consistent, they would translate these verses to say, A God, but they don't. They translate both of these verses to rightly say God, even though they're missing the definite article. Besides these verses that I just mentioned, there are numerous others, not only from John's gospel, but throughout the New Testament that Jehovah's Witnesses fail to translate the use of the Greek word for God as being a God, but instead they correctly translate them all as being God. Examples include John chapter one verse eighteen. John chapter three verse two, John chapter three verse 21, John chapter nine verse six, and John chapter nine verse 33. Besides the Gospel of John, we also see examples in Matthew chapter five verse 9, Matthew chapter six verse 24, Luke chapter one verse 35, Romans chapter one verse seven, Romans chapter one verses 17 to 18, and many others. Like I said, Jehovah's Witnesses are inconsistent in their translation of Scripture. Although they translate other verses that lack the definite article as being God, they fail to do so in John chapter 1, verse 1. Their failure to translate the Greek word for Theos as God has to do not only with their improper understanding of the Greek language, but also with the fact that they are allowing their worldview to affect their translation of Scripture. Besides the issues just discussed regarding the definite article, another argument that Jehovah's Witnesses have with translating John 1-1 as stating that the Word was God has to do with what they feel is a contradiction. For example, on their website, under Bible Verses Explained, in an article titled John 1-1, In the Beginning Was the Word, they write that, quote, "...the statement that the Word was with God indicates that two separate persons are discussed in the verse it is not possible for the word to be with god and at the same time to be god almighty the context also confirms that the word is not almighty god john chapter 1 verse 18 states that no man has seen god at any time however people did see the word jesus for john chapter 1 verse 14 states that the Word became flesh and resided among us, and we have had a view of His glory. End quote. In this article, they bring up a couple of very good points. At first glance, what they write makes perfect sense. How could the Word be with God and be God at the same time? This seems to be a contradiction. They then argue that the context confirms that the Word is not Almighty God. Let me explain why their understanding of this verse is wrong and why this verse is not a contradiction. In John chapter 1, verse 1, when it says that in the beginning was the Word and that the Word was with God and that the Word was God, the Word is referring to Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, not the Father. Verse 1 is stating that Jesus... Was with God the Father in the beginning, and that Jesus was not only with God the Father, but that Jesus is also God. John used the same language that Moses did in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when he wrote, In the beginning. The purpose of John doing this was to get his readers thinking about the creation account by God. What's interesting about this creation account is that in that account, we see evidence of a plurality within the Godhead. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, we read the following. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice that God is speaking in verse 26. And he says, let us make man in our image. And in verse 27, it says that God created man in his image. In these verses, we see evidence for plurality within the Godhead. Which is also evidenced in John chapter one verse one, Jesus was not only with God in the beginning but Jesus is also God, as this verse clearly states John one one is not saying that Jesus was with the Father in the beginning and that Jesus is the Father. That would be a contradiction. John one one is showing that Jesus was with the Father at the beginning, and that Jesus is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. In the article that I just referenced from the Watchtower, they mentioned that the reason that they do not translate John 1.1 as stating that the Word is God is because, quote, "...the context also confirms that the Word is not Almighty God." John chapter one verse eighteen states that no man has seen God at any time. However, people did see the word Jesus, for John chapter one verse fourteen states that the word became flesh and resided among us, and we have had a view of his glory. End quote. As I've already mentioned, at first glance their arguments seem logical. However, something that I want to point out is that they have taken John chapter one verse eighteen out of context to force their own meaning. Looking at John chapter 1, verse 18, shows that the Watchtower has only given us part of the verse in an attempt to make their argument. The full verse reads, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. The end of this verse, which we just read, makes it clear that Jesus, the Son, is God. However, in an attempt to force their heretical teaching, they ignore that part and they write that since no one has seen God and since the Word became flesh, that it means that Jesus cannot be God. Yet the context of not only these verses but all of Scripture shows that these verses are saying that no one has seen God the Father but that God the Son has made him known. A major problem for Jehovah's Witnesses translating John 1.1 as stating that Jesus is a God is that this introduces polytheism, which Scripture clearly shows is unbiblical. In previous episodes, when addressing Mormonism, I addressed the fact that the Bible rejects polytheism. God makes this clear through Moses When he said in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39, See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal, and no one can deliver out of my hand. The rejection of polytheism is made more clearly in several parts of the book of Isaiah. For instance, we read in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Elsewhere in Isaiah, God says in Isaiah chapter 44 verse 8, Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses, is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. In this verse, God asks if there is another God, and then he answers his own question by stating that he does not know of any other gods. God's not saying that he's unaware of whether or not there's another God, as though he's leaving it open for the possibility that there might be another God. He made that clear in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39, and Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. He also makes it clear in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, when he says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. These verses make it clear that there is no other God besides God. Therefore, the Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong by stating that Jesus is just a God, and not God. The Christian view of the triune God is the only view of God that aligns with Scripture. There is only one God, but that God is in the form of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let me bring everything together. Throughout this series on Jehovah's Witnesses, we learned that Charles T. Russell founded the Jehovah's Witness faith and taught people That if they ignore his books and try to just read the Bible, they will fall into darkness. But that if people ignore the Bible and only study his books, then they will be in the light. We learn that the Watchtower claims to be the mouthpiece of God. However, we saw over the course of several episodes that not only was Charles Taze Russell a false prophet, but so were several other Watchtower presidents. We learned that the origin of the Jehovah's Witness theology which rejects the deity of Christ, doesn't date back to 1870 with Charles T. Russell. It actually dates back nearly 2,000 years to the 4th century and comes from heretical teaching known as Arianism, named for Arius, who was a priest in North Africa. Arius claimed that Christ was created by God and therefore not deity. His heretical teachings were condemned at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, where over 300 bishops attended. Many other topics were covered, but we also learned that although Jehovah's Witnesses deny that the doctrines of the deity of Christ, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and hell are taught in the Bible, we saw that these doctrines are undeniably taught throughout Scripture. At the beginning of our series on Jehovah's Witness, I asked the question, Our Jehovah's Witnesses are brothers and sisters in Christ. Sadly, we've seen through these many episodes that they are not our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses are members of a religious cult, and they worship a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. Now, I will note that the Jehovah's Witnesses that I have personally interacted with have been loving, kind, and sincere people. But even though they talk about Jesus and the Bible, they are not Christians. As I've already pointed out, the Jesus that they are talking about is not the Jesus that saves. It's a different Jesus. Sadly, Jehovah's Witnesses are being deceived by Satan. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 15 warns us that Satan's servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. So what does this mean to us? Well, we need to know what the Bible says so that we can share the truth of Scripture with them. We need to obey God's command in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 that tells us to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. We also need to remember that people come to faith by hearing Scripture. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us that faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And lastly, we need to be in prayer for them, remembering what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Not only that, But we also need to realize that for someone to walk away from the watchtower and the Jehovah's Witness faith, it often means that they're having to give up their family. Ask yourself, is this something that would be easy for you to do? The answer is no. So with that understanding, be in prayer and let Christ shine through you to the Jehovah's Witnesses that you come in contact with. The best way to minister to Jehovah's Witnesses is to know your Bible and to love on them. Be willing to talk to them about their faith. Ask them questions. You don't need to know everything about Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower in order to talk to them. When you're talking to them, if they say something that you don't understand or that you've never heard before, ask them to clarify. Or ask, what do you mean by that? Let them define their own terms. There are also a lot of great apologetics resources that you can read or watch. I have several resources on my website, brianoconnell.org. If you're a Jehovah's Witness and you've been listening to these podcasts, my prayer for you is that you will take this information that I presented and look into it yourself. I'll be praying for you because I know how unsettling it is to be told that everything you believe in is false. If you notice... Most of the information that I addressed throughout this series came directly from Watchtower sources that I acquired over the years, as well as from the Watchtower website. Please look into each of these things that I've mentioned. In each podcast, I cited each source so that you can look into these sources yourself. If you have any questions, I would encourage you to talk to the person who shared this podcast with you. Ask them your questions. But most importantly, read your Bible. Not the New World Translation and each of the other Watchtower resources, but read your Bible and pray. If you want to know why you can trust the Bible, please listen to my other episodes on the reliability of Scripture. My prayer is that this series on Jehovah's Witnesses has been encouraging and challenging. Most of all, my prayer is that this series will draw each of you closer to our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me close with this passage from Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 that reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places That's all the time that we have for today Come back next time as I address another issue that confronts Christianity God bless